so if you found out that I was child murderer and I was hanging from a cliff and uh-huh. you knew it, you knew it, would you rescue me? I would rescue you. Really? Yeah. Hey, all right. Because you have to face justice, Julia, all right? That's why you <laughs> You have to answer for your crimes. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. I don't take the law into my own hands, like some sort of vigilante. Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where two unlikely gorehounds delve into our horror movie notebook from college, which meticulously kept track of every film we watched in the horror section of our local video store in our quest to survive and to ensure we end up as the final girl. Join Julia and Marion as we revisit the classic and obscure horror VHS we viewed and logged in our notebook, breaking them down one by one, geeking out about all of the ghastly minutiae, and ultimately illuminating the path to survival. Hey everyone. Hi. Welcome to the Horror Movie Survival Guide podcast. We are the first podcast from Indie Popcorn. We are recording at the Circus. And we are a podcast about uh, two girls, those girls being us, who went to college together and uh, watched a lot of horror movies and wrote it down in a notebook. And now we're going through that notebook. Mm-hmm. And, and revisiting some of our favorite ones um, to see what lessons we can extract um, in order to be the final girl. How do you survive horror movies? Listen and find out. And learn. Uh, this is episode 10. Yay, episode 10. And uh, the title, Did You Ever See a Dream Walking? Lady in White. Lady in White is the movie we're talking about today from 1988. The tagline, the year is 1962. The place is Willow Point Falls. Nobody talks about what happened in the school cloakroom 10 years ago. Now, in the dead of night, Frankie Scarlatti is going to find out why. Yeah, he is. That's a great tagline. That's a, that a good tagline. So uh, this film is one of the films that it must have been played on cable a lot when I was a kid because I can remember watching this when it came out in 1988 and it freaked me out. That's funny. Um, and I look at it now and it's, you know, it's quite tame comparatively. Right. But, you know, when but you're for a kid, when you're nine, it's yeah. horrifying. Yeah, and I had never heard of this movie when you were, you were like, Lucas Haas, Lady in White. Like, nope, nothing, not on the stratosphere. Lucas Haas is probably the cutest little boy of all time. He's pretty cute. He looks like a mouse, like a little <laughs> boy mouse. It's so adorable. It makes me want to hug him. Uh-huh. Yeah, he is very wide-eyed and like... He's got the big ears the and big like ears. cute yeah. little nose. Uh-huh. Little twitchy. And little. he's an amazing actor. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, it's also good, too, because it's one of those like... He's one of those kind of like little kid actors that it's just like a mini adult. Like they're just treating... You know, it's almost, it's almost creepy, but it's just like, oh, you're just like a little like... 10 going on 40, like, kind of actor, you know? You can see the wheels turning. Totally. And I like that he's not... Sometimes you have the kid actors who kind of, like, know they're cute or, like, know they're sticky, and Uh he's not like that. Like, I buy him. No, definitely. 100%. Uh Uh-huh. So he plays uh, Frankie Scarlatti. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so this film um, was... Written, di- written, produced, directed, and composed by Frank Lalogia. Lalogia? I say Lalogia. I'm Italian, man, and I can't even say oh. it. Isn't that sad? <laughs> uh, Frank, Frank Lalogia. Man, sorry, Frankie. Sorry. Um, and so this is uh, this film he raised the money for personally to totally. make this film. So this film he filmed in his hometown. Mm-hmm. This was like about kind of about his himself. Uh, it was it had a four point seven million dollar budget, which is a lot, a lot yeah. for 1988, mm-hmm. um, and it made 1.7 million. Yeah. So it didn't didn't quite make back, and I think he kind of went into movie jail I for a while. I would say through no fault of Frank's own, though, like artistically, like this is a really solid movie. It is, and it, especially if you're just like, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it myself, man. I'm gonna compose that. I'm gonna direct that. I'm yeah. gonna write it, and it's gonna be about me, but not really because I don't think he really saw Ghost. But maybe he did. But you know what? I think what we I think 
what I did, I have heard Lady in White stories before. Like, I know this is sort of like a common urban legend, little like Legend of Sleepy Hollow from like, you know, back then where there was like a, you know, a, a woman whose daughter fell in with a suitor who didn't have the best of intentions and she threw herself off a cliff or something like that. And so there was always like a sort of Lady in White story that probably he grew up with. And yes. that might have been like sort of the impetus of this. So um, apparently there's a Lady in White story in pretty much every country has like a lady in white, mm-hmm. like kind of like the lady who's crying and then you go to mm-hmm. see what's wrong and then, you know, she's trying not to be scary or she right. disappears or whatever. Yeah. So um, this, so this film takes place in Rochester, New York. So the, there is a 19th century lady in white legend uh, near this place. There's a place called the Durand Eastman park mm-hmm. where apparently the lady in white roams. So that was part of this urban legend that comes into mm-hmm. this film. Um, so we, Frankie, uh, we see him in the beginning. He's an adult. He's coming back to his hometown. He is a ho- successful horror writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but does he really believe all those things he writes about? And then we zoom in on his eyes while we go back in time to 1962. Uh-huh. So it's Halloween on 1962. Mm-hmm. So a great movie to watch for Halloween because it actually does pl- take place partially on Halloween. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Frankie's as Bella Lugosi is yeah. his Halloween costume with this cute little Bella Lugosi mask. Um, and we it, we're, we meet Frankie and his super incredibly Italian family, <laughs> which consists of uh, his older brother Gino, uh, his dad Angelo, and then you got Grandma and Grandpa who just like constantly bicker in these ridiculous Italian accents. It's really uh, cute. Though. It's very cute. It they is have very Grandpa cute. who's always sneaking off to smoke cigarettes, and Grandma's right. got to chastise him. Totally. Yeah, but it is, it is very like hands shaking, Mamma Mia, like the whole bit. Like they're doing all of it. Um, it's I, pretty cute. I, I mean, I'm Italian, but I oh, mean, I wish I was that kind of Italian because that's like that's awesome. Uh-huh. When you have like Mama made her spaghetti, and we're all gonna <laughs> right. Yeah, no. Grandpa it, Charlie's drowning himself in the in the bathtub right. because <laughs> I hit his cigarettes. Not again. Um, it's very the beginning of this movie too. It's shot in this kind of very idyllic kind of like dreamlike state. I would say like it's very it very much feels like um, a film remembered. Like it's uh, it's more of like they're filming like memories rather than like, this is practically what happened. This is very much like his adult memory of all of these events because they love this sort of dusk, orangey glow, ethereal kind of lighting that you see in over and over again, especially in the beginning when he's sort of remembering that Halloween. Yeah, it's a beautifully shot film. I'm surprised it doesn't have much more of a following. Um, mm-hmm. Roger Ebert, when it came out, he said, uh, Lady in White, like most good films, depends more on style and tone than it does on story. And after a while, the whole insidious atmosphere of the film begins to envelop us, mm-hmm. which I think is fair play. I mean, that guy should do that for a living. That's, that's, a, that's a good... That's a, <laughs> That's a pretty good... He seems like he knows what he's talking about. But it's it's true. The atmosphere of this film is very palpable. Yeah. And we... Uh, so Frankie's uh, in class on Halloween. They're having a crazy Halloween party mm-hmm. uh, where Frankie gets to read his latest horror story, which right. you can tell he does this quite a bit. And he it. gets a lot of guff for because they sort of set him up very much to be... He's an isolated child, pretty friendless, kind of strange. Because he's too smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he reads the scary story and uh, we have uh, bullies because there's always bullies. <laughs> What would we do without bullies? What would we do without so bullies? So many plot points on bullies. <laughs> um, so the bullies have decided, as a joke, to steal uh, Lucas Haas, uh, Frankie, his hat, mm-hmm. and steal it and put it on the top of the cloakroom where they lock him in. Mm-hmm. So he's now locked into the school cloakroom at night on Halloween, and it's getting dark, and it's pretty scary. Right. So he uh, falls asleep. He has a dream about his dead mother, who mm-hmm. recently died, mm-hmm. uh, which is creepy because they actually got Lucas Haas's actual mother to play his mother in the film, and there's a 
shot of her in a coffin. So like that, which he walks up to. Yes, which he walks up to, and he's like looking sad in front of it. I'm like, as an eight year old kid, man, that would freak you out totally. to be like, I have to pretend my mom's dead, and my mom's really dead right there in yeah, front of me. That's so weird. Um, but when he wakes up, he sees a ghostly apparition. apparition. Yeah. So, Props to this film because the ghost effects in this film are awesome and very creepy. And very strange. Like, I, I again, it's like I'm not exactly sure how they did this in 1988, but it's sort of that thing where um, the little girl, when you first see her, she backs up through a walk, backs up through a door and is talking to somebody that we can't see. And it's like she's... It's kind of this weird effect where she's like on the same plane as the floor, but kind of not because it's shot on green screen. And it just has this kind of... It's you know sort of maybe a slightly dated effect, but it's very creepy and very disconcerting. Child, um, child ghosts are definitely the creepiest ghosts, and this yeah. is like an excellent creepy ghost because you don't see who she's talking to. So it's this yeah. one-sided conversation, and she starts saying. Uh, my favorite quote for the film is when she comes in uh, and says to her her killer, who you cannot see, "Where is it? Where is my present? Where did you hide it this time?" Mm-hmm. So know that she's seen this person, is familiar with this person, and this person's now going to kill her. Yeah. So we see her die in, you don't, you see her hair being yanked, you see her being strangled, but you don't ever see who's doing it. So it's this very creepy ghostly apparition where it's just, you know that she's being strangled, but you can't see who's strangling her. Yeah. And briefly, they have a, a very brief shot where Frankie makes a noise, and just before she is strangled, like has the sort of one-sided death, and she turns and looks at him. So she can, even though she's back in time when her murder's about to happen, she can see him seeing her, and then the whole murder takes place in front of her, and she is, like, scooped up, like she dies on the floor, and um, uh, something falls out of her hair and rolls into a nearby grate. Um, and then when she, when after she dies, her body is picked up by something unseen and is taken back out through the door. Um, and that that's the sequence that as a kid that like made me lose my shit. I yeah. was just like, that's fucking scary as shit. I can't handle that. Like, Which again, is a really good idea. Like one-sided ghost child murder that you observe and you can't see the other half of it. Like, ooh, like it's really frightening. So, so Frankie sees this. He doesn't say anything. Uh, but then a rat comes and crawls up his leg. And so he makes a noise. And the killer, uh, who we, we don't see who it is, has come back and in present day mm-hmm. in 1962 to try to get something out of the grate. Mm-hmm. Here's Frankie and starts to strangle him, um, but luckily doesn't succeed, and mm-hmm. so he's revived and taken back to his house um, where he's now in a neck brace. Mm-hmm. And his brother brings in a newspaper to show that there have now been 10 children who have been murdered by this person. Yeah. Uh, and the, the girl that uh, Lucas Haw saw is the first. Melissa is her name. Right. And they think um, when Frankie is rescued away from um, uh, the house, uh, the school that night, they arrest the janitor, um, who's an African-American man who's downstairs uh, drinking a little bit on the job. Um, and he's like, what? What are you talking about? I have no idea. And they're like, put him away. And so that becomes its own separate B-plot that we will deal with later. Blame the janitor. Yeah, blame the janitor. Um, so, so there's a, so we know there's a serial killer mm-hmm. who has been uh, preying on children. So uh, while he's in invalid, uh, Frankie's dad's best friends come to visit him, uh, Phil and another guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, I don't know the guy's name. Sorry, other guy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were fine. Your part, your part was fine. You were just not terribly memorable. Um, so it turns out that Phil, who works for uh, Frankie's dad, Angelo, and they have been best friends uh, since forever, and mm-hmm. they live together because uh, Phil's parents died when he was young, and so they were raised as brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Phil uh, mentions that he's going to take uh, Frankie out uh, bow and arrow hunting later because right. they gives him a new set of bow and arrows because they 
Bow and arrow hunt. You, yeah, but also like, well, you survived being strangled by a guy. Here's some bow and arrows to make you feel better. If you were like an eight-year-old boy, that'd probably make you I feel so. a You're lot like, better. I guess so. You're like, oh, 1962. You're adorable. <laughs> so uh, Frankie decides uh, to go with the bullies who bullied him earlier to go see the mysterious house mm-hmm. out on the cliff. I don't know why you go out with the bullies who like locked you in the cloakroom. I don't know why you would do that, but you would do that You're in right. this film. Yeah. Um, to go out to the creepy house mm-hmm. where uh, they they find Melissa's bedroom. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's pictures of her with her mother who has long white hair. Uh-huh. And then they see the lady in white. Yeah, for the first time. And uh, what do the bully friends do who are like his t- for real true friends and definitely wouldn't abandon him in that situation? Run. Oh, wait. Run. Immediately run and leave him. But you get a little, you get a little good of it. But Frankie, he's not just a pushover because he punches the kid in the face. He does punch that kid in the face later. That is true. So he has it. It's good. It's good when you see the bullies get their comeuppance. Like, just punch him in the face. And uh-huh. then they do. And then you go, yay. Yay. We're all friends face. now. <laughs> um, but then he runs in, into uh, his brother, Gino, and he starts to kind of get Gino in on kind of this whole thing. And because Frankie, after this happens to him, it's interesting. And that's what I sort of like about this character, too. Sort of, um, even though he is kind of a loner kid, he's really smart. And so he's not just okay with like, well, I saw this girl, this ghost and someone tried to kill me in the cloakroom, but I'm just going to keep being a kid. Like he's like, it's a mystery. I'm going to figure it out. And so he starts enlisting his uh, brother Gino to help him kind of, this is what I've known so far. And this is, we have to figure out who killed this little girl. What's this all about? So he found in that Frankie had gone back to the grate. He had found a hair barrette, which he, when he goes mm-hmm. to the house, figures out. So it's Melissa's hair barrette and returns it, and also a ring, mm-hmm. uh, which falls out of his pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his brother Gino finds mm-hmm. uh, and goes down. And Gino does his own bit of sleuthing. You get right. a little brother action. And by the way, uh-huh. the actor who plays Gino, J- Jason Presson, is the third kid from the from Explorers. Right. Which I like. We didn't figure that out till later because we were like, oh, "That kid looks really familiar. Who is this kid?" And then later we're like, "Oh, he's not River Phoenix and Ethan Hawke from Explorers. <laughs> he's the other one." He's the other one. <laughs> and he's fine in that he's, movie. No, he's, he is. He totally is. But, you know. Sorry, kid. <laughs> That's okay. Sorry. But Joe Dante knew what he was doing when he cast him. So Gino gets some detective action and mm-hmm. finds some uh, initials in the ring. Right. And goes through and, like, f- compares it sort of. His br- his uh, dad has some yearbooks. They figure out that, like, it's like a class ring from the school that his dad went to. And they use the, the same in- year. The same year. And there's initials on it. And he goes through and kind of figures out the different names. Um, and basically it all comes down to um, that uh, Angelo's, uh, their father's friend, Phil, who we met earlier, has the same initials as that ring. So perhaps. Yeah. And so Gino kind of realizes, uh, hey, but where's Frankie? Oh, I know. He's at bow and arrow lessons with Phil right now. Okay. So there's a shot in this. Oh, okay. So, so so we as the audience, we as the audience know now that Phil is the, is the kill, killer. Mm-hmm. And they do mention that he not only kills children, he also molests children. Um, but yeah. Frankie doesn't know it yet. So he's, mm-hmm. we as the audience know, Frankie doesn't know they're out at this bow and arrow practice. And there's this shot that is like the creepiest shot where it's really close up and it's basically half of Frankie's face and Phil's mouth, which is like right up against Frankie's face. Because he's could, about to like shoot the arrow. And so he comes in really close to like help him like steady it and help him. And as a kid, I remember just being like, oh, it's a creepy scene. But then as an adult, you're like, oh God, he like, he's in love with Frankie. And yeah. like, he really like, he knows that it's wrong. And like, but he's like really like into like being really close to him. Yeah. And it's really, 
really creepy. Yeah. Because um, up until that point, this movie had sort of been like, yes, yes, child murders, possibly also a little molesting, but basically child murders. But that one scene was like, oh, ooh, all right, that's, yeah, that's a thing. Um, and there is this um, recurrent, uh, recurring theme that we keep hearing, which is where we're getting the, the, the title from. Did you ever see a dream walking? Um, that's a melody that keeps getting whistled every now and again and is like whistled, known to the killers, we hear kind of throughout. Melissa, before she gets killed, says, I know your favorite song, and mm-hmm. she starts to sing it. So there's this... Right. We know that this is the killer's favorite song. Totally. And so at this point, the audience obviously knows that who Phil is, but Frankie does not. And so after a good day's target practicing... They are putting the uh, bows and arrows and everything away in the station wagon, and Frankie gets into the station wagon first, and I think he's sort of humming it to himself, and then Phil starts like absentmindedly whistling it, and they have that, this great shot where Phil is just starting to finish putting everything in the back of the station wagon, and he closes the station wagon door, and Frankie hears him whistling that, and he looks at him, and Phil looks back at him, and it's that thing where like, oh, it's, it's this all, the whole word list, like, oh, you know you know I know, I know you know I know, and they just stare at each other, and then he quickly runs over and starts locking all the doors and you know, rolling up all the windows and making it so he can't get in, and, and the beginning feels like, hey, buddy, what are, you, what are you talking about? What's going on? What's going on? And then that, it's Len Carew, right? Mm-hmm. It's the actor, loses his ever-loving mind, like totally, you see like the face of the monster is like revealed, he's like, let me in, open it, and that whole thing. It's, it's pretty, a great sequence. It's, it's, so it's, it's a great sequence. Yeah. Frankie flees into the woods uh, with Phil on his heels mm-hmm. who uh, tells him he would he would he didn't mean to strangle him. He didn't know it was him right. because he had the mask on. Mm-hmm. But now I'm going to strangle you anyway. Right. With, before confessing, confessing like everything to him. Confessing like this whole like sad adult you know thing to like a 10 year old kid which is super upsetting. Yeah you don't you know it, but you have to you got to know why, right? Like, there's always the why. I know. I guess there's just something interesting about when the why is revealed to a child. It's like sort of the ravings of like a deranged grown up trying, but you but you understand, right, Frankie? Like, you, this is why. Like, I can't help myself. Blah blah blah. And it's like it's so much more screwed up when they do it to a child rather than to another adult. Um, so Phil is suddenly, as he's strangling Frankie, knocked out by the lady in white. Mm-hmm. And then we wake up and she's put uh, Frankie in Melissa's bed. Creepy. Mm-hmm. Surrounded by like 10,000 candles. Even right. more creepy. Super creepy. But she's just playing the piano and being chill and right. being like, hey, what's up? I'm- oh, and this lady in white um, is totally played by Catherine Helmon, who, Mona from Who's the Boss? <laughs> and which I really enjoyed. <laughs> She's, it's awesome to see her scary. And totally. I, I, feel, I do feel bad because I, I, immediately you say Catherine Helmon and I say Mona. Mona. But actually... She's in Brazil. She's in a bunch of other awesome totally. stuff. No, so. She's like a respectable career, and like we need to stop being children about it. <laughs> I do. Mona. Mona. Uh, so we, we have thought this whole time that the lady in white was uh, Catherine Helmond, mm-hmm. but it's actually not. It's mm-hmm. actually her daughter. So when uh, Melissa, the little girl, was killed, uh, the mother went and threw herself over the cliff as well, and now they've been like endlessly searching for each other. Right. Um, and uh, so the lady in white, so Catherine Hellman in the house, Phil comes in and stabs her, which is right. terrible, and mm-hmm. the house starts to burn down, And uh, but the ghosts mm-hmm. are still there wandering. Right. Mm-hmm. And so basically, like, Phil gets uh, Frankie out, and he's going to take him over the cliff, even though he's explained everything to him, he's going to, like, chuck him over, um, but, they, but they struggle, and, like, the original lady in white, the mother of Melissa, um, comes down and rescues Frankie and she and Melissa are like reunited in the sky together in this like magical happy... They shoot off into blue twinkling stars. Exactly. And you're like, oh, that's nice. Cut back to Cliff and like Phil is still trying to throw 
Frankie off the cliff. Um, and they sort of kind of go back and waffle back and forth. And um, Phil, uh, Phil is kind of left hanging by his fingernails and Frankie comes back up and Gino and Angela and everyone shows up to rescue him. And then they have this interesting scene where um, Angelo then goes down knowing that he tried to kill his son like two more times. Um, but he's his best friend. Almost his, his best brother. Friend. He's got to save him. And now he knows that Angelo knows that he's like this child molester murderer. So he reaches down to like help him and they do lock hands. And Angelo's like, all right, come on, come on, come on up. And he looks at him and has this like, mm, I don't want to face it. And he lets go and he throws himself off the cliff. So if you found out that I was child murderer and I was hanging from a cliff and you uh-huh. knew it, you knew it, would you rescue me? I would rescue you. Really? Yeah. Hey, all right. Because you have to face justice, Julia, all right? That's why you <laughs> You have to answer for your crimes. <laughs> Correct, yeah. I don't take the law into my own hands, like some sort of vigilante, 1960s vigilante. <laughs> but I think it's interesting to have a character that, you know, he's he's played as a nice guy for the mo- yeah. majority of this film. And, like, a lot of th- movies don't really deal with the fact that, like, you're you, there are people like that who, like, they're killing people, but they also have a totally normal life. Yeah. And they, people who know them have no idea. And right. They love them and they think they're this one person mm-hmm. and in fact they're not they're they're this horrible monster well and they also have this um like kind of whole this whole b story with the janitor continues later and they have this whole kind of which i'm not i don't know if it's wholly necessary or not but they have this kind of miscarriage of justice scene where the janitor goes on trial they find him not guilty because there's like no evidence so he is finally leaving with his family like you know talking to the press well it's good to be freed my good name is cleared and um the mother who we've seen in church in a couple other times of another murdered child comes around the car and she believes that the janitor did it and as he's about to drive away to his happy life she shoots him in the face and again in this movie that is a kid's movie um and it's just like what and frankie's dad comes and sort of shuttles the now widow away and and it just like that's it that's it for that sequence that's the last time we see those people and it's like what like I don't know, very I've, dramatic. And- I feel like the, the, the kind of racial tension subplot is very unnecessary in this film and very mm-hmm. di- kind of distracting. I don't feel like it's done very well. It feels very like by the book kind of thing. And the uh, uh, the rest of the film is so inventive and, and mm-hmm. interesting that this kind of distracts you and it kind of uh, like it brings you down to earth when you want to be up in the stars well, with the mother and daughter. I guess I just, I, I wouldn't mind it if I felt like it had something to do with the main story. It just seems like it's its own thing. And it's like, you know, obviously such things happened and, you know, continue to happen and blah, blah, blah. But it's like when sort of the main gist of the film is like tra- Frankie trying to figure out the mystery of who this person is and how to kind of keep keep going back to like you know the janitor i don't know it just seemed very weird and then just like a super dark ending to that b plot that again had nothing to do with like the main story i don't know just right. kind of odd because it happened and i was like whoa b story just got really dramatic and then we never went back to it again never saw those people never so i'm just not really sure what the point of that was but i think this film gets points because it, it it's got a a really cool ghost uh, st- you know, style. Uh-huh. And the fact that, like, the idea behind this is that this little girl has been living out her death every night at the, the, the 10 o'clock is when, like, the chimes ring. Right. So she's been living out her death every uh-huh. night for 10 years of, like, constantly, like, just being strangled and then being taken to a cliff and chucked over. And, right. like, that this is happening every single night is really terrifying. It and, like, is. And I'm, it's an interesting, like, kind of take on, you know, okay, ghosts, right? Like, everyone's got a ghost story and what's yours? And, like, this is an interesting, like, that's his version of it is like that idea of like those events repeating what if you saw it repeating multiple times not just a once but like over and over until like you help figure out what the mystery is 
Um, I like that a bit. I also sort of like tonally about this movie. Um, I was sort of joking with Juliet that this was this movie felt very much like Wonder Years with ghosts <laughs> um, because it looked a lot like a Wonder Years episode, like you know, sort of like the Lucas Haas kind of sort of like the. Fred Savage character, and there's a lot of voiceover, and it's shot in this kind of gauzy, you know, early 60s, lovingly kind of, um, you know, kind of like a homey kind of environment, just with a whole lot of ghosts and kid murders. Um, And so I think it's interesting to have something that's so dark kind of dealt with it in some ways kind of a light touch. Um, as well, far as how it's shot, and there's a lot of humor in it, like with the ridiculous Italian family. And um, well, you had mentioned that you think it's a kids' film, and I'm like, I don't think it's a kids' film. I think it was meant to be a kids' film, though, because again, think it's too scary to be a kids. I film. mean, I agree, but I just feel like the, because of this Wonder Years sort of like thing that they have going on, it just feels very kid friendly. It feels so like you know, like everything's sort of shown from the children's point of view for the most part, and so I feel like it's. I mean, I don't think the filmmaker made it like as a kid's film solely, but it just feels very kid friendly to me. But I guess it's the kind of same kind of like Spielbergian, like look back onto something in like yeah. a beautiful way. And totally. It feels that same. Like when you were a kid, everything was so pure and yeah. this kind of thing. And this is how I learned to grow up. And dark, dark undercurrents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it is the thing. It's like, especially for um, when um, I don't even know what to call. Uh, Catherine Hellman's uh, other lady in white. There's like main lady in white and other lady in white. Fake when, lady in fake white? Lady Her in name white? is Amanda. Yeah, red herring lady in white. Yes. Um, yeah, that's true. Okay, so I guess when Amanda, um, when Phil kills Amanda, I mean, Amanda has just sort of spent like five minutes with Frankie, like talking all about Melissa and my daughter and what happened to them and how I went into an insane asylum after they died and the tragedy and blah, blah, blah. And then Phil comes in and totally strangles her to death in front of Frankie. And it's like, whoa, movie, wow. Like, you know, but I guess that kind of goes back to Roger Ebert's point where it's definitely because of the way they set up the tone, it just kind of creeps in on you, this Mm -hmm. movie. And I kind of like it a lot. Um, The quote that I had from this movie was from an earlier part of the movie where it's the first time Gino and Frankie are in the woods together and they both see the lady in white. Um, And... uh, and uh, or I'm sorry, they both see Melissa and um, Frankie says to Gino, because they're just kind of staring at her sort of like open mouthed. Um, and Frankie says, she's looking for her mother. And Gino just nods nervously and says, well, you got her number. Let's call her. <laughs> I like that. Um, uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I th- but I thought this movie was really interesting. And I don't I think I was expecting something more. Um, I guess I was expecting when you sort of talking about like kid, you know, I see a ghost kind of movie. I was expecting it to be more kiddish. Um, and it is, it is, but that's, element, but but that's why you dark. hire Lucas Haas is like you hire <laughs> someone who's a clearly like super bright kid yeah. who's not just going to be like, I yeah. mean, no offense to the Goonies, of course, uh-huh. but like he's a little smarter than they are. So yeah, like he's yeah. going to like figure stuff out in a way that like the normal like kid adventure kids don't really do that. Yeah. And we were, I was laughing a lot too, where we were talking, I was talking about that Lucas Haas spent the majority of his like early career being, trying to be killed by adults. Cause like witness and like lady uh-huh. white, it's just like a lot of scripts where people are trying to kill kid Lucas Haas. Like poor Lucas Haas. I would like more Lucas Haas in my life. Oh yeah. Who's, he, who's needs, he needs to be in more films. Please cast him in your films. Cause mm-hmm. he's amazing. I'd like to see him in like another ghost film, like as an adult. Yeah, <laughs> he's really great in Brick. Uh huh. I think he's like he's good. Mm-hmm. At, like he like you know he's slightly creepy, but also really amazing. Yeah, but I think I do, and I, I like that idea too that you were talking about of having like a really smart kid observe these events and be like almost again be like an adult about like I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to. I think I, I really like that dynamic a lot. So we have our ratings uh, that we do for the films. 
so the gore factor, we have uh, one is not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two is a puddle of blood. Three is enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four is a bathtub of blood. And five is run for the barf bag. This film, for us, gore factor, one out of five. I stand by that. There's basically no gore. What I mean, what is... Do we count, like, violence as gore? Well, yeah, I think in this case we did because we wrote not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup, which is accurate. But, like, the thing about just seeing, like, the kids getting murdered and, you know, like, eventually seeing her being chucked off a cliff and stuff like that, like... That's that's something. Um, And so for movie ratings, we have zero to five chainsaws. One, if you're desperate. Two, barely qualifies as a horror film. Three, seen worse, seen better. Four, not too shabby. And five, fantastagorical. And Julie and I both gave this movie four. Not too shabby. Not too shabby. Not too shabby horror movie. Um, So yeah, I mean, we can't say your last name right, Frank, but... (laughs) I'm sorry, Frank. Aside from that, well done, sir. But yeah, well done. Because I feel like possibly you feel like you didn't do what you set out to do with this film. And I say that you did. I'd I say that do. I saw this film many times as a child and I've watched it several times as an adult. And mm-hmm. I would say right on, this is a great film. Yeah. Underseen, but that's why we're talking about it. So you guys can go see it. Yeah. And you can tell us what you think about it because we would love to know your thoughts. Yeah, definitely. Um, you can find us um, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the places that we we're we are, sorry, the letter R, Into Survival. That's on um, Twitter. Mm-hmm. And then on uh, Facebook and Instagram, we are Horror Movie Survival Guide. Um, you can also find us individually. I am Julia C. Marchesi. Mm-hmm. And I am Marion R. Kerr. And we are uh, very excited next week to talk about Sam Raimi's Evil Dead. <laughs> I feel like it's been coming for a while. Um, you got to talk about Evil Dead. Today's the day. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going to be exciting. We love Sam Raimi. <laughs> and Bruce Campbell. Oh, we love Bruce Campbell, too. I know. There's going to be so much fawning. It's going to be pretty gross. <laughs> Hope you're ready for fawning. <laughs> so much. Bye. <laughs> Bye, guys. Great to survive.